0: No, give me a wall. No, give me a wall.
1: Again, with you inside out with Turner and Sale. And this is the first of three episodes uh, based around our Candler Park Festival, which happened recently in Atlanta. And um, we're going to have two episodes each. We had these festy flash chats.
2: Flash chats. Festy flash chats. FFS. This first one was
1: one of two we conducted right behind the stage with a stage booming. But Robert Kwan, using a boom, said he could eliminate the boom of the stage. And uh, so so, boom
2: chicka boom.
1: So we were standing around with mics while um, Brandon Mize, the talent buyer at Rival Entertainment, basically the guy who put together this festival, also booked Prince many other tours we talk about all kinds of stuff but it was kind of awkward to be back there
2: behind the stage i was having a hard time hearing brandon mize by the way is one of the two talent buyers also lucy Fraze is a partner and senior talent buyer with rival entertainment you're right i'm sorry which lucy. the senior partner is josh i always mess his name up and i i feel bad about that but it's uh uh in tukio in Antuki? anyway josh i apologize if you're listening seth's not a, a linguist uh, you know, and get I'm to not, know me and you'll understand. get
1: your name pronounced correctly. That goes for anyone in the industry. Even though Seth's the industry guy, oh, if you okay. want your name pronounced correctly on this show, you should get to know me, fanboy.
2: And and you should go ahead and get to know Rob if you uh you know want him to know what instrument you play because he always remembers that too.
1: Also, if you happen to be an industry person who's really into the music, you know. Uh, you know. Come on. All right. Uh, yeah. Any rate though,
2: I gotta be honest though. We, yes. had, a, we had a great Great time and rival entertainment did a phenomenal job putting together the Candler Park Festival. And
1: That's- I give Seth a lot of crap, but Seth did a great job too—not just arranging the interviews, but then amidst the confusion of a festival, uh, making sure they got followed through. We actually probably could have done more, but we ran out of battery space, and we're old guys, and it was it was it was hot and sticky and sweaty. And
2: I feel pretty good about what we were able to accomplish. I do I like mean very they, much. There's only God. one other thing I wanted to do, which is the blind beer taste testing. But we didn't do that. And, and by the way, not only our sponsor, but the sponsor of the festival, Terrapin Beer.
1: Terrapin was everywhere at this festival. They put up a lot of money to help see this festival go through. There was Terrapin beers everywhere, including the new Soundcheck Pilsner, which is available in cans. The watermelon uh, was not there. That was, was the not answer. there, but it was, <laughs> it was there for our interview. It was brought to us. Interview. you'll see later You'll see later on. They then. won't see anything. They'll hear They'll
2: hear it. But, you know, Rob, you always like giving away things. I do. If so I, why don't you give I'm away? Generous.
1: I'm generous if I have things. As a matter of fact, my whole purge is built on that. Yes, it my is. My collection purge, but we've been over that.
2: Um, but, yeah, so Rival Entertainment's got a great team, and they did a phenomenal job booking this festival. But not only they do book this festival, they also do a lot of stuff in town. They do the old Fourth Ward Fall Festival. They, they do... Um, well, the people outside of Atlanta
1: aren't going to care about that. It's a really big... Or, right, they, they, got about, tapped. They, they, they got tapped they got tapped
2: at Centennial Olympic Park in one of their shows there.
1: They got tapped to have Prince play Atlanta. There Do you, you need go. to know anymore? That's yeah. So without further ado, here is our interview from behind the stage at Camden Park Music Festival with Brandon Mize of, of Rival
2: Entertainment. Entertainment. Uh, back here uh, with Brandon with Rival Entertainment. Brandon is part of the uh, promotion team here and the, uh, one of the talent buyers for Rival uh, and producing the camera.
3: There we go.
2: How you doing? I'm doing really good. You should be doing good. You've done a great job here. Uh, starting with the lineup, I think you've really done a great job and everyone here is uh, you really f- picked, it, picked a lot of good bands this year. Tell us a little bit about the process of, uh, of picking these bands.
3: Well, uh, this is our eighth, I think, year doing this, and over the years, it's just kind of developed into uh, kind of like an old school 420 fest. Not by chance, or not by purpose, but just by chance.
2: Um, there was a need. There was a need for it. Yeah, to we to try to that.
3: we try to get a a, a a lineup that we know that a certain crowd will be at, and that. We're not going after the, the masses because we only have a limited space here, and uh, we know that if you like bluegrass, you're probably going to like uh, a little bit of Americana. You're probably going to like a little bit of jam. You're going to like, a, you know, they're kind of the same ballpark of band. So, over the years, it's kind of developed into what it is. And it's interesting.
2: Two things I want to bring up. What's interesting is that, uh, well, it's more of a question. You know, you you. you You only have a a capacity here you can't overdo. So do you have any fear that that with, you know, building these lineups like this, that you're going to outgrow the festival park itself, just like it has happened in the past with other events here?
3: Uh, You know, on a business side, you you hope that happens. But on a realistic side, we kind of know what this festival is. And we have no aspirations or desire to make it bigger. Uh, We like what it is. It's a nice neighborhood festival. It's grown into its own little identity, and uh, I think we like where it's at right now.
1: Does that encourage you to have more of a deep bill rather than a headline-heavy bill? Like, I start Great Peacock at 1.30 in the afternoon. That's, yes. that's killer. Yes. Throughout so we, the day, we've had great bands.
3: Yes, so we like to, we like to build the, the lineup to where we know some people might not show up at 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock, but we want to have a really good band at 1, 2, whatever, to get people out early uh, on each day.
2: Now, and also, you as a, as a talent buyer, what i find interesting with 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 you with you guys and it's probably particularly you you guys are always able to find and work with bands that have relationships in town with other promoter stuff yet you don't have it there's not animosity with other promoters in you that i'm aware of you you guys do it very tasteful i mean to take galactic for example galactic has relationships that say the variety playhouse that you know they, they play it outside and elsewhere but typically a band sticks with a promoter but you're able to pull them out pull them into your event pull them into different places and not and, and
3: not have that whole competitive animosity not be whatnot. seen as stepping on toes yeah right. there you go thank you well we are very lucky in that sense uh i think our company rival is in its own self is kind of that way we work with a lot of different promoters in town we welcome them into our venue um, we you know we, we we're never like the oh you can't do a show here or i did this man whatever like we try to work together Atlanta's is such an incestual market that you kind of have to be that way because if you're not then you're going to lose out on certain things like you know like the revivalists and, and uh, bands like that so we kind of pride ourselves in being that way.
2: And then with the festival side, you guys don't just produce the festival. You guys manage staffing here. You, you do a lot of things different than other promoters, per se, do. I mean, If I'm, if I'm correct, don't you guys, uh, aren't you one of the main providers or ATMs for festivals around this region or this area?
3: Well, one of the guys in the company uh, is, is part of the ATM. Co. He used to be, uh-huh. he sold it all, but he still has a little stake in it, so he kind of has his hands in it. But, yeah, we do uh, everything from the bars to the production to... Security to everybody.
1: And moving beyond that, um, you booked as you said, you book things around town. Have you booked
3: any overtly historic shows lately? Historic shows. Yeah, I yes. I know where you're going. Where <laughs> <Yeah>. you're going. <laughs> we did the uh Prince show at the Fox Theater. The final show in the great career of Prince. Correct. Now, first of all, how did you how did you guys get the gig? Well that was actually Lucy, our other town buyer. Uh they contacted her. Um they call her and send her an email and it's like, hey, we want, Prince wants to do a show. How far in advance of the first scheduled date did they do that? Two weeks. My
1: God. <laughs> can wow. any other artists get away with doing stuff like that? Uh, uh,
2: actually, I no. That's Yes, they can because I, I went to a uh, – ho- we went to, Rob, we went to that Beck Halloween
3: show at the loft. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, you guys Bex? are there for a- – That was actually the radio deal at that point. Uh, okay, but that's yeah. one of your that's venues. Awesome. So that, that was like a few days before, it. yeah. That was Beck <laughs> – yeah, literally. so maybe you guys haven't. Maybe you're known for like
2: oh, you got a last minute show. I
3: hope oh, so. Brandon. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so they book it two weeks in advance and cancel it about a week later because of yeah. health issues, right? Correct. And how was that handled?
3: Uh, were you we're given ex- an explanation or is it just sort of? They just said he was sick, right. uh, and that he, you know he hadn't. I don't even think he had left Minneapolis yet. Uh, we were at the Fox set up and everything, and uh, you know they called and said, hey, he's he's sick, he's ill, he's got to cancel. We'll try to reschedule as soon as we can. And luckily, they were able, to, I think it was the next day that they rescheduled for the next week and, and it went on, not went on, it continued on. Yeah. But at that point, we still didn't know if it was going to happen because you're like, you never know. Right. But he was in great form and looking very healthy. Great right? form, looked healthy. I mean, he was, I mean, you couldn't have told, never asked me uh, and ask everyone at the venue, like, did he look sick? I'm like, no, no, no. he looked incredible. A true performer. A true, true performer. So he hangout guy,
1: or did he just come off the bus and go on stage and then go right back on the bus?
3: He go got out of off. his car, went backstage, didn't hang out a whole lot. But I think he was sick, he just wasn't showing it. Right. Yeah.
1: And uh, what about some of the other gigs you've done? You worked with uh, David Byrne, St. Vincent.
3: We, Do you did, think- we did that at Cobb Energy Center a couple years ago. That was a great one. Uh, we did the shins there. Those were some great ones. Um and this isn't going to air
2: for a couple of weeks. What do you got coming up? Just kidding. You don't have to answer that.
3: <laughs>
2: What's big in the fall?
1: <laughs>
2: well, thank What
1: about, what about working, real quick, working Centennial Olympic Park when you do shows there? Yeah. Uh, what are some of the unusual elements of that, and what are some of the uh, most difficult and one of the most rewarding things about
3: working shows at that location? You know, that location is a great location to do shows just because it's, it's kind of unique. It's got the... Background is the city. Um, they're really great to work with. Uh, we've done several shows there, so uh, we kind of have a niche of doing them there. Uh, I, there's not any bad parts. Uh, a lot of city stuff, but nothing yeah. bad. What about
2: bringing back the On the Brick series? Taking whatever that was, getting something like that going again? Because that
3: was, I mean, that was right before festivals started popping. Yeah. I. I don't know. I kind of have mixed feelings about that. It was before all the festivals started. I think with a the way that bands and the festivals started working the bands got so overpriced like you had to pay so oh my much God, for, yeah, for bands right. it makes it really hard to do a free show
2: Yeah. so that's
3: why even on the bricks and stuff started charging $5, $10, whatever and it just kind of lost its luster it.
2: yeah now it'd be like come come to Centennial Park for $40 right <laughs> so yeah you're but right with
3: bands out
1: there on the road trying to not be weekend warriors and trying to tour through the week are you ever tempted to do some sort of Tuesday or Wednesday weekly series and get the bands at a cut rate and have a lower uh you know
3: overhead i mean we would love to do that atlanta's such a fickle city it's kind of hard to do it Uh, you do it on wednesday someone doesn't go because you didn't do it on thursday yeah there's a lot of great bands that play in the city on a monday tuesday wednesday all across the city and then nobody goes to because it is it's during the week and whatever restaurant they're going to or whatever opening there is it's a pretty fickle city
2: And one other quick question on the festival side and the booking challenges. Do you find that having Bonnaroo right happening next, you know, the weekend after your event here at Candler, does that take a little bit of challenges because of all the clauses in in
3: performance? Yeah, absolutely. This lineup actually is amazing that it happened because of 420 Fest, Shaky Knees, Bonnaroo hang out like we had all that against us this year and everybody we tried at the beginning was like no they this radius calls, no this radius calls," and we there was one point we were like we don't like we're running out of bands and then it just kind of kind of came together like, you know just kept trying and we got very lucky with the lineup we got but yeah it makes it very difficult for a smaller festival like this because of the radius calls. yeah would you ever consider going early april with it to try to beat
1: people to the punch if you will or too much of a weather risk?
3: Well, you got 420 fussing in April. But we'll go like early April or late March even. Yeah, then you then you don't know about the weather. All right. This event actually used to be two weeks later. Yeah, I thought it was a little right. later. We to, to And it was, it was so hot. Too hot, yeah. Uh, and then uh, it was also in, it landed on Bonnaroo weekend a couple of times. We decided to stay away from that. Yeah. Last year was perfect because Labor Day or Memorial Day was a week early. Yeah. So we got the last week in May. It was great. But then we, this year, Memorial Day was the last week in May again. So, kind of jacked it, us up a little bit. And you
2: also switched your uh, your sponsorship. You used to have, you had Red Stripe here before.
3: It was Red Stripe uh, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, whatever happened, wasn't us or whatever, Red Stripe stopped yeah, doing ma. a lot of stuff. Yeah, man. Right. Uh, and luckily, Terrapin stepped in and they, I thought they've done a great job. A with promoting the event and B just being out here and people like it a lot more. Yeah, we're fan- we're obviously fans of Tarabin.
1: Yeah, the uh, soundcheck Pilsner is out in cans now. It is this their first year of being the chief sponsor?
3: Yes, oh, I very first year. And hopefully they'll they'll stay on. and We'll keep keep doing this thing.
2: Yeah, as uh, as you will as well. We hope so. Thanks for giving us a couple minutes and, and congratulations. And thanks for being so
1: generous and letting us do our thing in here. We're very, very kind of you. Thanks for doing. It. is Brandon Mize of Rival Entertainment, generously spending time with us in the midst of the craziness of the Candle Park Music Festival.
2: And really being open and revealing some insights about the uh, talent buying and, and the world of promotion and everything else. So you just heard it all. Hopefully uh, for you young folks out there that dream is to be a promoter, that's a good person to talk to right there because he's, as a talent buyer, can, t- uh, can tell you a lot and you can learn a lot from from his experiences.
1: So then, uh, the next interview actually took place the first night of the festival, the night before, way late in the night.
2: I wouldn't say like way late
1: in that. Way late, you know, it was, it was toward was the you... end of Galactic set. Galactic yeah, you say, you set. you say
2: that, and it sounds like way late, until like four in the morning. You know, most people like go to festivals. This is a city festival, so what is It's like eleven o'clock at night. Eleven thirty. Okay, right, that's true. Way late for old Rob Turner.
1: Well, I thought <laughs> Keller looked a little tired going into it. I thought it was really nice of him. He could have easily blown it off. But uh, once once we got rolling on it, uh, it was great. He was playing the Grateful Grass uh, with the uh, mandolin, mandolinist from Railroad Earth, and with uh, Ben and, and Allie from uh, Yonder Mountain String Band. What we're gonna do is play one of those songs. Here's a little ditty for you from that set, oh, and yeah. then lead into the interview with that's that song. That's a great
2: idea. Hey, you know what? Maybe we can play the song. Well, you know what? We'll we'll play that song. Uh, that's a good idea, Rob. Thank you. You're welcome.
1: Actually, I would say. And we can cut it off if we don't do it, but that little blues for all Android eyes of the world was was pretty much my favorite part of the set.
2: Uh, and I, I will, to boot, to say that what you're about to hear is um, the lineup is not a lineup that has been put together until this Yeah, that show. was your dopey, maybe your dopiest question yet. Uh, th- sometimes questions aren't questions that I'm trying to answer for myself, but I'm answering, no, asking the questions for no, our listeners.
1: No, that doesn't fall into this category. I had just told you about how I'd seen him at Lockin with Jason from the Macquaris, and then you get in the interview and you ask, "Is this, is this the lineup every time?"
2: No, that's not how I said it. I was trying to make is sure this, that I, is I, this. I was trying to make sure our listeners <laughs> could. Oh, first of all, uh, um, the, the last time the Grateful Dead played <laughs> that was in '67, and then it was a Fat uh, Jim Slim that came around. I remember seeing it because the big Fat b- Jim Slim. Slim. Oh, you know Fat Jim Slim. You mean Fat Boy Slim? Hey, can we have a moment of silence?
1: Did I did I ruin your ruining of me?
2: No. Muhammad, oh, Ali. Muhammad Ali.
1: Yeah. Yeah, when I was a kid, his interviews with Howard Cosell were something some of my earliest earliest memories in sports, you know. And I have a I have an idea of what his last words might have been. What's that? I outlived Frazier by four and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> uh
2: man. I'm loving F- Float like I, about a butterfly sting like a bee. I hate uh the fact that, you know. I it's it sad it saddens me to an extent that when we lose people you know we lose them <laughs> but um how do you say that I'm trying to say this the right way but let me get to the point uh, when we lose someone famous there's this especially now and with Facebook and Twitter and etc you get this onpouring of old footage and stories and NPR and you know does a great job of giving you the CNN but mainly I like NPR a lot the recaps they give you, and the insights, and you start learning things that you didn't know about these people you knew or you didn't know but you knew of. And, and it's just kind of interesting. It's a lot. It's a lot. I like it. I think it's nice
1: to, to do an obituary that's not moving at all so I don't have to run the risk of crying. <laughs> okay, with that so, so said. So thank you for that. Let's uh, let's be glad that 1996 he got his moment uh, with the torch at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Happened right here in Atlanta. I, I thought about that, but
2: then... And you think I about how he looked about that, that day. Yeah, exactly, that's what, exactly what I was thinking about. Live exactly, 20 more years. Yeah, exactly. And I was thinking, I, was like, I can't believe that was 20 years, but I thought he was going to die like two weeks after that. Hey. No, I didn't mean that rudely. Parkinson's is a bitch, dude. It's <laughs> no picnic. Yeah, and on that note, let's play some bluegrass for you.
1: So here's a little Keller Williams, and then our little chat with Keller Williams. And if you pay attention... Elephant? Not, yet, not an elephant, because you, you have to be a little savvy. Oh, okay. He he plants the seeds for us to be fucked with, and you will hear it in the next episode. So listen carefully. He
2: is a true jester.
1: Yeah, and he again he looked really tired getting into it. And then just as we got started, we do the faux. A crowd intro that I had seen him do before so I jumped on and did with him And uh, he, he's just a trip, he's a real character of a guy and just seems to really appreciate what he does for a living and really love it and that's refreshing, no, there's not a speck of jaded in him
2: Yeah, good dude all around so, without further or a morning do just due. get on with it, here's the interview further or a morning do here's the interview with Keller Williams You're listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth, and we're here at Candler Park Music Festival in Atlanta, Georgia, with Keller Williams. <laughs> Keller, 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 Keller. We actually put that on loop.
0: How you doing, Keller? Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. It's late at night, it's 11
1: p.m., and Keller's hung around and stuck. You know, he finished his set about an hour and a half ago. Yeah. Today yeah. was a grateful grass. He was joined by, uh, couple members of yonder mountain ben and and Allie.
0: yep mm-hmm. yep and uh and john ski and from uh railroad earth wonderful set
2: yeah it was absolutely is that the same lineup though or does that change uh, is the the grateful grass lineup change out
0: it changes out this is the first and only gig we've ever done is that four piece uh-huh. and it was tight and yeah. right and uh uh it's what happens with when you get to super quality musicians that understand the music and that uh, prepare? You know, I definitely had everything planned out, and the MP3s of my arrangements in my keys, and sent them out. And they, they learned it and they came ready, and mm-hmm. we ran through everything right before the set. And uh,
2: well, you know, I, I gotta out. say, Allie is Allie. From my experience of working with her, she's always been. If you, if she's doing a project. She she like she does her homework.
0: Oh, she's on it, yeah. She
2: shows up and it's and dialed in and advanced and like
0: And it's fun because uh, you know, uh we like to party a little bit, you know, and because we can't really take ourselves too seriously and we like to have fun and uh there's a there's a moment in time and space when you're uh working with Allie Crawl where we uh I think uh, uh the fruition came out with this term this term where uh she can get into the crawl space. <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, might not be an uh, uh, unfamiliar term in the sense of terms, but uh, yeah, she's she's awesome. She took us there. The entire women are smarter. Yeah, she she
2: really belted that out. Yeah, she's not afraid, not afraid. So uh, maybe we we can expect to see some stuff happen at Strings and Soul.
0: In theory, you know, uh, that's a vacation for everybody, and everyone's kind of got their plan, and, and you never know what's going to happen uh, as far as sit-ins and who's around. and who's... Vince
2: Herman waking you up at 5 in the morning, come on, we've got to go to the beach and play to the sunrise.
0: That happens. That <laughs> happens when, when, when he's in the house, and uh, that's something that you have to deal with and you have to go with because you have to take advantage of Vince Herman. Mm-hmm. At all, at all costs, because he's a he's a he's a genius. That guy's a genius.
2: Mm-hmm. He definitely is. But you, had, I want to, I want to hit a point you just had. that was interesting. So you know, a lot of folks go to these uh, destination events, whatever the event might be, and they expect the musicians to do like not just their sets, but. Not just the activities, but be around and have this, and and why are you not just playing? Why is Keller not just playing at the beach? And da da da. And, and the point you just said is, it's not just a vacation for those going. It's also a vacation for you. Do you bring your family, or how do you treat some of these events? That you-
0: I treat them with just the utmost respect because I'm so grateful to be on them and, and to be on like cloud nine in general, you know, uh, I'm very, very, very lucky to be on like a every other year situation with them, uh, jam cruise one year and then a destination thing the next year. And, and, uh, and when it stops and I I imagine it's going to stop, I'm going to be okay with it because, everything they've given to me up to this point has been just a brilliant beautiful uh experience not just a vacation for me and my family but you know a musical experience and then as a mu- as like a music lover first musician second songwriter third going to these things and hearing these bands in this situation where everyone's loose and feeling good and on vacation it's really really special
2: now on jam cruise did you you got playing with sipe is is your, that project that you did with sipe and gib come from that or is that totally separate
0: no that's totally separate i think we got lucky and got on that uh after i think that the uh, uh that mosley Droll and sipe project you're speaking of mm-hmm. started in, in in 07 and there was four Uh, festivals in 07 leading up, there's three leading up to Bonnaroo, Bonnaroo was the last one and then uh, we did a couple, we did a tour in in the fall of 07 and then toured heavy in 08, all through 08 and uh, I think we got lucky enough to
2: to be on Jam Cruise, one of those. I think Jam Cruise got lucky enough for you to be on that because that was phenomenal. <laughs> have, you,
0: have you guys played together since? Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, I, I, I do a couple days in Keystone uh, around the, the second or third, the second or third weekend in, in December, you know, right before Christmas, uh, and uh, and we got to do a set there. And there was there was uh, it's been like once every other year, you know, we get together for a weekend.
1: You think it's anything you'd ever dive
0: into for a full tour again? Well, it's tricky because of uh, of everyone's schedules, you know. Uh, Keith with the, uh, the the string cheese, are, they're now they're back into it and they're hitting it hard. And 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 that was happening when they were on hiatus, you know. And so now that they're hitting it hard, there's there's uh, 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 rehearsal schedules, you know. They're real serious, and then they go on like uh, like songwriting. Uh, excursions with just the band—it's like old school. Really, uh, really cool uh, work ethic String Cheese has these days. I'm really envious of those guys. That's good to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now,
2: back in the day, you had Breathe, and you know the whole pr- connections with String Cheese. Were, I think it was like 2000. Uh, obviously, Nin- you've kept your yeah. You've yeah. kept your relationships through the years. You guys are good friends and whatnot, but you, uh, can people expect to start seeing some more of that? That you know commodity happen again here in the future no no no
0: <laughs> I, I would imagine in uh, uh on the 20th anniversary you know of breathe i'm hoping that uh we can get together for a show or two and just at the berkshires you know recreate oh wow that would be cool <laughs> I rem- i remember that show yeah uh maybe recreate some of those songs off that record is what i'm hoping for but you know i'm so grateful for string cheese and and what they've done for me and my world you know that i i don't really expect much more than what they've already done and and whenever i'm with them it's kind of up to them and uh i'm grateful every time that they they invite me and i'm i'm not going to you know push it or anything and let them kind of figure it out one thing you did say is happening soon just before we rolled tape you're doing a tour with Leo Kaki. I am, yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, it's um, you know, with all the projects that I have, there's like a funk project and bluegrass and and this quattro thing, which is kind of like a, a like an acoustic dance music thing. You know, with all the projects, it's fun to kind of take, you know, go back and just totally reverse everything and go back to the beginning. And just have a microphone and a guitar, and just not worry about signal path of looping or or arrangements with other humans you know and uh, and one way we can do this is to bring in someone like Leo Kaki, who has a following of people that are used to sitting and listening quietly. Absolutely. And, and uh, my wife came up with the idea of uh, a tour called Shut the Folk Up and Listen Tour.
1: I love it. I love and,
0: it. and with all the projects, it's good to get back and, and kind of go into kind of that NPR crowd, that, that idea, that vibe of listening and pin drop quiet and and where you focus on the stories and the and the guitar playing and there's not signal path or other humans and uh, and leo Kaki is the perfect uh uh suspect <laughs> to team up with and, and the thing with leo is is that he's so brilliant and awesome and and uh, maybe maybe jaded and i don't know i don't, don't going as far as say jaded to the sense of not wanting to play second you know he like demands to play first and i was never really good with that i did never wanted to follow him out of respect you know and so finally i came to the tank came to grips with it and it makes sense that you know he wants to play first and then i jam with him at the end of his set and then he's done and then he has the opportunity to leave if he wants to uh, so you
1: jamming on his songs? So I, did you brush up
0: on them before the tournament? Because well,
4: I'm, I'm they're huge, not easy songs to play. Well, like.
0: I'm a huge fan of his, especially the the Mike Gordon uh, uh, uh stuff. Yeah, and so uh, the, the 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 one show that we've done, uh, we did three songs together, and, and we opened up with <clears throat> my my song called "Do Be in the Pocket," which is uh, a very simple song. It's with uh with leo's uh delta blues picking style and the very simple rhythm you know he was he was into it and he probably appreciates the humor in the song too. well you know he can't he he blew out his hearing in the navy apparently in, in the submarines and, and and that's why he can't play with drums right? he doesn't play with drums he, he he doesn't use monitors you know when the whole the whole tours with 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 michael gordon um there was no monitors, so Mike was up there with no in-ear monitors or monitors and and just kind of playing off the house and it's really tricky and, and he doesn't he doesn't use any monitors and it's, and, but I use in-ear monitors with little headphones, so he doesn't have to have monitors, but I can hear everything you know it's perfect and uh, it, it's a tricky thing and, uh, and so he doesn't even hear my vocals when when we play together. He did, he, I don't think he really even knew. That I sang, I think he thought I was more of an instrumental thing, which is, uh, you know, kind of adds to the whole beauty of the uh, vulnerability of the of of the of the pairing. You know,
2: I remember when you played with the blind boys, Alabama, and they didn't know you juggled until, you know,
0: (laughs) (laughs) until I hit one of them in the head with a pen and didn't know it was coming. Damn it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I didn't, yeah, Rob knew that one was coming though. So, but but Leo though, you're, he's also well, he's also like you mentioned, known for playing listening rooms. And yeah, there's a, is it just me or is there a resurgence of listening rooms? I mean, even with like the city wineries opening up, and there's there's a new like it just seems like that's starting to pick up again a little well, bit well
0: you know music is beautiful and and there's so many ways to present it you know and and so many people are used to the elbow to elbow you know concert experience but there's also the sit down listen and 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 you know eat drink and have waits you know wait staff come to you and and uh it's a dying kind of breed and I, yeah maybe it's coming back a little bit with the, with the wineries and stuff and uh uh leo definitely knows it and and having him on uh on the bill definitely brings in that element of folks uh that that get it
2: and mm-hmm. and and uh, but what about this tour though i mean you have a I mean, let's face it. You have a fan base that is a listening fan base, but also a hula hooping, dancing fan base. So yeah, do, it's, do an get... it's an issue.
0: It's definitely an issue. It, it's definitely an issue, and that's why we are we're uh, labeling it as such. Yeah, you know, to, by
1: the speaker at the back of the room.
0: Yeah, you know, there's there, there's people that you know want to dance, and they they don't understand the concept, and. They'll get up in front and turn around and kind of raise their hands and try to uh, evoke people getting up to dance, and that's a beautiful thing, and that's an energy, that's a youthful energy, and mm-hmm. it's a it's a luxury problem. Well, they but this also, isn't yeah. that, you know. This is definitely, right. you know, this is something different, and you know, maybe we're trying to give people that know it what they want, and maybe teach people that there's something different, you know, and kind of give people an an, an option,
2: mm-hmm. open them up to it. But you also have a great uh, knack for. I mean, listen, eighteen-year-olds. You you've been able to keep eighteen-year-olds. They they get older, and they still come. But somehow you were able to like someone discovers hula hoop, they discover you, and you know, and you've been able to keep that going. And that's that's an amazing thing. Because a lot of musicians do lose that.
0: Yeah, some of the rail riders, they don't seem to get older. <laughs>
2: that's right. Different people, same age.
0: <laughs> it just seems to be the the same people, but they don't get they don't get older. It's a beautiful thing, and I don't. Uh, sometimes I don't understand why they're there, but uh, I'm very grateful that they are. And I think the fact that it's, you know, like I said before, I'm a music lover first, musician second, and I always put myself in the place of the audience member, and I try to play to them in the sense of not taking it so seriously and uh, creating some kind of facial expression drama to keep them involved, even if the song's not really keeping them there. I, I don't know what it is, but... I feel there, there's a connection with it with the youth, and I'm grateful for that.
1: Now let's talk about vape. Okay, which by the way, it's not just a title; it's a suggestion. The music <laughs> on there is so introspective and ethereal. It's like, do what the title says before you listen to it.
0: Well, it here. it came from a from an acronym V A period P period E period, vape, uh, Virginia psychedelic excursion.
2: Oh wow! That's
0: right. kind of where it came from. Here, but I obviously. It, yeah you know there was you know there was the obvious you know vaping going on during the in in this enclosed you know perfectly sealed studio where the 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 vapes would like linger in the air and then the lights would go down and and they'd be these you know so it you know the the title of the record came you know from obvious reasons and but It Mm -hmm. kind of turned into a a psychedelic excursion in the sense that it was a four-minute drive from my house is where I do all my all my records this amazing genius of a engineer producer named Jeff Covert at Wally Cleaver's recording studio in Fredericksburg Virginia and I've done just so many records there and radio shows and we've uh, we're in the middle of two recording projects right now we're like you know really tight and know each other really well and work together really well and The record was just kind of came together in, uh, yeah, I'm home, uh, during the week and they came together like Tuesdays and Wednesdays for like two months, you know, and, uh, and it was done. Some of it has a real live feel
1: like high and mighty, especially with the vocals at the beginning that you do Yeah, who's doing all the singing. Okay.
0: So high and mighty, uh, on vape, uh, the, the, the vocals in that was recorded at the Shroudsburg theater in Pennsylvania. Uh, Keswick. You no, know, it's Shroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, 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 what, what's Sherman, Sherman Theater? Sherman Theater in Shroudsburg, Pennsylvania. And what we did was we set up microphones on the stage, and um, I purposely tried to get the crowd to sing the, uh, the little head, the, oh, 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 a silly little, like, stadium-style uh, sing-along thing, and, uh, and got one really good one. And that's the one And looped it all the, every ah. time. <laughs> yes. a little spoiler alert. Uh, but then worked that in and then used that as the tempo, and then created the track around
4: that vocal loop) oh, oh. from long ago And when I say from long ago I mean from ever so long ago Yo Roots float down through the river Evoked a bank a sideways tree A big old witness to the Civil War are Getting ready to float downstream But that's right It's ready to float downstream Not tonight Hanging on to the dream You say, don't you come at me like you're all hiding my teeth. I say, my teeth, no, but definitely. You say, we should back and move away from this place. I say, let me uncork another bottle of wine.
2: They say this album's going to take years to really understand the effects of the album, but that's besides the
0: point. And that's the purpose, you know? And that's why uh, digitizing it is, is so beautiful because it, that moves it one step closer to being to being immortal. <laughs> Speaking of being immortal, you're the first person ever to write a song about an over-the-shoulder
1: rocket launcher? Yeah. And is that an answer to Bruce Coburn's If you, I Had a Rocket you Launcher? You know,
0: that was one of the first songs I ever really got into that had, like, cuss words in it, you know? Um some, some some bitch would ever,
2: die. Yeah. Do you ever mess up though, and like play playing one of your kid sets, and then like, throw like what was going on? I'm actually retired
0: from kid sets to really? avoid that, that issue. Yeah. yeah. Is, that, is that so? Yeah. <laughs> I did a dozen a dozen matinees and and we did you know a bunch of yoga abagama shows mm-hmm. with, with playing the one song, yeah. and uh, and and it was good. And it was good. It was positive. But I can't I can't do it anymore. You know I can't. So, well, the the record, the record, the record, the record still lingers.
2: I mean, as someone who has a child now, you know, you, yeah. we, I look for you know the MMW album, your album. There's there's a couple that is like well, a...
0: Channel Seventy Eight, uh, Sirius XM Kids Place Live definitely has elevated that record into different levels. Mm-hmm. And there's something on there called the Mommy Veto, uh, to where mommies call in and they don't like the song and they want a mommy veto a song and the, the song is called mama tooted yes and so if you listen to the words and say you know she may say that she did not and she's probably right but i'm gonna blame it on mama all night and then there's been dozens of <laughs> of complaints from m- mothers who in like uh, uh grocery stores and pushing around the child in the in the uh, uh, well, grocery cart, the mom, the child says, "You know, Mama tooted and then everyone kind of turns around to <laughs> Mama. But it's like a song, you know, that she's <laughs> repeating, and uh, and so then there's the mommy veto. So it's been taken out of rotation for a week, and that's part of the mommy veto. I think it's happened a couple of times, and which which means it's getting a lot of yeah. play, which is yeah. good. Listen, <laughs> controversial. Keller <laughs> Williams.
2: Hate is popular.
0: Yeah, it's easy. Hate is easy.
1: Can we talk about some of your influences? Sure. Because I'm a big Bella Fleck and the Flecktones fan. And I I understand Victor Wooten, the bass player, was uh, a big part of you coming out as a live performer.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was into looping before I got turned on to uh, Victor. I was... My looping device was a uh, rack-mounted delay unit. To where I'd set the parameter and had to play within those parameters. And Victor showed me where there's a there's a machine that you can actually step on a button when the loop starts and step on it when it stops. And he showed me it was probably 1998 uh, that uh, it was at the uh, uh, in Cincinnati at um, oh shucks I can't remember the name of the club, but. It just so happened that um, it's Bogarts. Yeah, that's it. Are you serious? I think it's Bogarts. I think it's Bogarts. The the, the manager guy had a big long uh, beard, goatee, uh, Dan maybe. I just know from tapes. <laughs> that's it. I think it's Bogarts. <laughs> it's Cincinnati, idea. right? In like '98, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, a Stanley Jordan was playing the next night, and we just happened to show up. So I was like, sound checking in front of. Uh, Victor Wooten and Stanley Jordan just petrified you know (laughs) and uh, and uh, watching you know Victor you know it was him and J.R. the drummer I think J.R. went on to play with Shania Twain and really only played a couple shows with uh with victor after that but it was just victor and jr it was just the two of them and so victor really showed me how to like set up a loop and kind of set up a bass line set up a rhythm line drummer's playing along to it and then he solos over it and he kind of showed me you know a different way to do it what i was doing at the time in the you know mid to late 90s and uh uh, he's just super super dude and has always been super supportive of me and has been pushing for uh, a solo tour with me and him and uh, we've never really been able to pull it off but I'm hoping that maybe maybe that could be part of the you know, shut the folk up and listen tour and yeah. can be one of the one of the acts and do big big Saturday gigs and bigger rooms and have Victor at it. Or do listening rooms and you know There's big listening rooms.
2: Mm-hmm. There are.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's tricky though. Definitely are. Let's go let's let's go little. Let's go small. Let's keep the bar low.
2: Keep the bar. <laughs>
0: low. What about Annie DeFranco? She's a She's quite the songwriter. She definitely is. I was definitely in a huge Annie phase in the 90s for sure. I saw her for the first time at the uh, Telluride Bluegrass Festival. On oh, my first one that I ever went to in 1995. I went to 7 I think before I got in for free. Uh, she is a, a brilliant, just, you know, kind of activist, uh, amazing. And, and, uh, you know, Martin Sexton and I both, uh, share the same, uh, fear of being around her. Neither one of us are really comfortable in the sense that we're such huge fans that we don't really feel comfortable hanging out with her. <laughs> That's how. That's how cool. I think she is. I, I know the. Think feeling, she's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I
2: know the. feeling And you got used to. You've You're much better with me now than you used to be. I know. Thank you, Seth. Yeah.
0: It, t- it takes a little time to get used to you, <laughs> Seth. But <laughs> what? Because <laughs> you're special. You're.
1: He is special. Is a good word
2: for that's. It. That's you... what my parents said when they put me in pre first. They did. They said he's spe- he's special. Don't worry. He's special.
1: But check this out. Uh, he's such a fan of Michael Hedges. He has this one song called "Not of This Earth," in which he weaves. The titles of Michael Hedges' albums into the lyrics of the song. I mean, that wow. is just a beautiful tribute to an amazing guitarist. That's I know a... it's a
0: while ago, but no, man, that's that's some research you did there. It's good. Um, I do, appreciate that. Do younger people? Do you think who younger people who are inclined to go to these listening
1: rooms? Do you get the sense they know who Michael Hedges is, and is he someone you shine a light on on a tour with Leo Kaki? Like you know,
0: Rick? Kaki King, I think, does it the best as far as like bringing his music to light. She has several. Um, I think she did like a, some kind of maybe, maybe it was like a, a movie soundtrack to some like, um, I, I'm not really sure but there, there, there's a record out there with Kaki King doing a bunch of Michael Hedges songs that are so true to his arrangements and she's actually playing it you know, whereas I am more influenced by him and his picking style and his, and his tuning and, and especially his way of taking a cover song Neil Young and making it his own, like you know, to think, like the "Shining Star" by by Madonna. Yeah. You know, Neil Young, you know, um, what was
1: the big one? Was it Cortez? And were you just like
0: uh, it <laughs> was the um, um, he gets inside of it. Oh man, there's Is there, a there was ever? a couple. I think there was. I thought the it, big Neil. But, like, Watchtower was like the first one that I ever heard Michael Hedges play, and that was like his own arrangement of uh, Live on the Double Planet. But that's what I got most out of Michael Hedges was kind of his funk, his command of an audience as a solo act, and the way he took his cover songs and made them his own, but yet stayed true to the integrity of the song. But if you want to hear real Michael Hedges, you know, portrayed, like Michael Hedges play it, check Kaki. out Khaki King, yeah. Okay. And she has this new thing going, with with this visual thing. I don't know if you've seen it
2: but I have, and I was actually when you kept saying Khaki King I'm like, what she has I haven't seen her in several years, I, yeah, I think. Well, seen her okay, really so
0: even. there's this new thing, I think it's like a Ted Talks. You know what Ted Talks is? I yes. do. Okay. You can watch so, him
2: on any, on any flight. <laughs>
0: they always have him on the planes. Well, I think it's a th- motivational guy. I think I think it's a uh, it's some kind of you know highly funded thing. But but she has this thing where she has a, a, a white guitar, all white, on a stand, and the video projection it goes onto the guitar. Oh, cool. like Perfectly. Huh. And she's got on glasses, and she's wearing all white, and then there's all this projection behind her, and she's doing this amazing thing, but. The projection is just unbelievably state-of-the-art. And, you know, the first time I ever heard her was... Uh, the blue man group on, 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 uh, um, uh, Broadway or not. It's like the off Broadway, you know, the, the small little,
2: the, uh, the small little theater. It's called the blue green group.
0: The small little theater that the blue man group plays in New York. Uh, she was the guitar player and I was like, Oh my God, who is that? And then I found out who it was and I started following her. And then, you know, later on we got to play. Well, we didn't, I don't think we've ever played together, but we've been on the same bill a few times and, she knows that i'm i'm a fan of hers but you know definitely you know if you're online and you're on youtube and you want to see some weird crazy solo acoustic visual art check out the recent khaki king stuff it'll blow your mind mm-hmm. i mean it's unbelievable how state-of-the-art that video is on it's like projection on her guitar with like you know you know what herringbone is like on, on a guitar. It's like herringbone's a little, like a little um, bracing they put on the side, you know, it's like all along the, the bracing of a guitar, like different like patterns and it's all just, in tune it's, with the music. It's in tune with the music and it's, and it's on a stand. So it doesn't move.
2: Is the person that's projecting it. It's, it's not a program. It's something, is it programmed or is I someone would actually,
0: imagine, kinda... I would imagine it's a mixture of both, mm-hmm. you know, I don't begin to know, understand the, the whole technology <laughs> behind it, but, uh, blown away by it for sure. Yeah. And that's from the Michael Hedge you know, bringing up Michael Hedges, it just automatically goes right to her because she's, I think it's the next generation of, it's of high praise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's real. It's real. You know, it's, it's now
1: real. you've, you've had such an a stunningly elect eclectic, uh, studio career. Um, but I'm wondering, as a big R&B guy, and you were in- influenced by Richmond R&B scene, right? Absolutely.
0: Have you ever really done an R- R&B album? Is that is that something you'd want to do? Well, you know, the funk the funk record uh, 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 more than a little was a project that I put together with that Richmond kind of R&B gospel scene, and and that was put together just for the mere sake of doing something different from Christmas to New Year's. You know, December 26th through New Year's and doing like five shows, something different. And we recorded those shows and they were so hot that I released them as a record. And then once the record was released, we started pushing the record. And a couple of years later, we're doing, you know, a handful of shows a year. And so that's where that came from. And I feel like that record kind of dives into R&B and uh, soul. And it's called funk because that's where I was going with it. But it's kind of like a gospel R&B soulful funk you know so i I feel like i've got pretty close with that record cool cool yeah
1: i was just gonna ask because i was the the listening room thing because i was gonna get into the mccory's and i was gonna ask when you're
0: on tour with them
1: was that a listening room situation
0: you know it was really cool because there's two different worlds there was my world and there was their world and half the gigs was in there were in their world and it was you know sit down um like um Gray Fox it's a festival up Mm -hmm. in New York and that's an actual festival where everyone is it's an actual listening kind of festival in the sense of there's usually you go to festivals and there's you know a little chatter but this is like you can pull a uh, a headphone out and really hear silence you know and uh which can be great but also you might have the chair
1: snapping grass holes there too The
0: chair snapping grass holes (laughs) that does (laughs) happen these guys especially when i play with the mccurries and there's seriously with the mccurries there's a certain kind of expectation that there's this you know with the mccurries the the mccurries to me is bluegrass royalty Mm -hmm. and with that comes a certain kind of expectation and then i come along and uh, you know, I could understand that I'm not really in their wheelhouse. Well, you're, you're,
2: you are in the kingdom. You're more the jester than the in the know.
0: more the jester yeah. than the kingdom. Yeah, but uh, it, we can't expect everyone to dig it. You know. Yeah. And it's and I understand. It's not your father's bluegrass, and and even even Dell, even Dell's almost not your father's bluegrass <laughs> in the sense of just energy and positiveness that Dell puts out. You know. Have you played with him? Of course. Yeah, man. Dell's the coolest. Dell's the coolest. My favorite Dell story is him at at Telluride Bluegrass, and and I'm in the, you know, front or second row of the little poser pit in front, you know, I'm watching, and, you know, it's 8,750 feet, you know, 8,750 feet in, in in, in, in town. You know, you go up on the mountain, you're higher, but you know, so everyone's kind of like, yeah, a little <laughs> bit dizzy, the lack of oxygen, and Dell says, you know,
4: actually, I'm standing on stage right now, so I'm actually higher than all of y'all right now. <laughs> everyone
0: laughs, everyone laughs, and then he goes, <laughs> I'm just kidding, and then everyone laughs again. It's just, oh my god, it's just like tears, tears coming down my face, and I just love that man. He takes requests for real. I mean. As oh, no. fans go, they shout stuff out. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. He doesn't mess around. Yeah. Yeah. They go up there with the, you know, the idea of what they're going to play first, and that's about it. It's a, it's all kind of like feel it out. And I really respect that.
1: And uh, we're getting to my favorites. Like, you know, one time on Jam Cruise, I gushed over uh, Larry Keel. Just a wonderful, amazing acoustic player. And I know you did an album with them, but. Um, are you still in touch with them? You still maybe write songs with them? Is that a project you'll push forward?
0: Yeah, actually, I did. I did two albums with them. I did one called Grass and one called Thief. And Thief was all cover songs with different uh, in different you know realms of rock and roll and put it into a bluegrass situation. And I'm really grateful right now. I'm um, there's a project that I have called Quattro with uh, Danton Bowler, uh, Droll and Rodney Holmes on drums. Oh, Rodney. And and, and, and we're working on a record right now With, with where I do all my guitar tracks. Send them to Rodney. He sends them to the... And it's taking, you know, forever.
4: Twelve years. It's taking a long, days.
0: long time, and I'm really excited about this project. It's about eight songs, and it's going to be 50 minutes long or so. Uh, but it's taking forever. Because it's, this, just, it's all on tracks. Who's keeping up
2: with all this, Lou or your wife? Me. Me, me,
0: me. Yeah, my wife... You know she wants nothing to do with the, with all that, but the 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 reason I I brought that up is that because it's taking so long, I decided to enter into a, a, another project and that is uh, a Tim Bloom uh, benefit album. Tim Bloom is the lead singer of the Mother Hips, oh, yeah. and he is uh, he uh, snapped his leg in half at his ankle, paragliding, jumping off a cliff with a parachute and and uh, parachuting down and hit like a giant pile of logs and snapped his Longs, leg in half sure. and uh, i don't know how much the uh the uh, insurance covers better his leg than his hip right exactly and because because of the mother hips yes, seth I that's I, absolutely yeah. because if he hit his hip it might be better because there were mother hips uh anyway i hope this didn't happen very recently <laughs> no anyway it happened it happened last summer like okay right, yeah luck. but anyway there's 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 you know there's Lots of expenses. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens he's an amazing songwriter. And I love, 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 love all of his songs. And I'm using his injury as an excuse to record all, uh, six of his songs and, and bring in people that are around him and, and put them up as a, a six-song a downloadable bundle for five dollars. All proceeds going to Tim. And I brought in the Keels. I'm getting back to the Keels. Remember? Yeah. Remember, remember the Keels? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So so uh, the Kiels, a song about the Keels. The Keels, uh, the Keels and I recorded a song on our off our first record by Tim Bloom called uh, Stunt Double. And so that's the relationship. And uh, and and we did recently two songs uh, by Tim Bloom for this for this project. And they're really hot. <laughs> really, one one of them is the uh, "A Little Too Late to Die Young." It's a, a Nicky Bloom and the Gramblers mm-hmm. song, written by Tim. And then we do a bluegrass uh, makeup of it. And another one is "Do It on the Strings." And both of them, uh, Larry and Ginny Keel, just really shine on it. And they they drove a couple hours to Fredericksburg and they did it for free. You know, just you know to help Tim out. And it's uh, it. It's a really, really hot couple songs, and I'm really excited. I'm playing with them on Sunday, actually, uh, in the Outer Banks.
2: Geez, here I thought, I mean, what what you're saying there sounds more to me like a stage at High Sierra. Yeah,
0: like a Tim Bloom, like a Tim yeah, like Bloom yeah. benefit the, stage. Yeah, really that's, could, a, I mean, that that's a perfect, you that's just a perfect said really idea. You know, may, maybe you the, can mention that to Roy and Rebecca. Well, and maybe they can have me back. Speaking after of, however many years. Well, I think the Roy, reason I, Roy, I, welcome.
2: I think the reason why Roy is not bringing you back is because you're up on the bowling. <laughs> <laughs> he got mad so that that, that <laughs> we he
0: got mad that we 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 took him down in the last couple frames. Yeah. Yeah, my he, friend Greer was he, saying he's, he, he's never, he, never gonna, never gonna let it let, let it down. <laughs> she was saying you're a very good bowler. She's bowled with you out there. After I'm not Sarah. very good, no, but but we got lucky. We got lucky. You know, you, he
2: juggles and does all these other things while <laughs> the other people are bowling. And distracts him. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, solos. but you know, his his thing is, and I don't know if this is true or not, but apparently you only like you switch all the balls around so that whoever you're playing yeah. with only gets to roll with blue balls. Yeah, I know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that was a that's long walk. That's, uh, sorry. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, on that note, listen, <laughs> Keller. We really appreciate your time here. Oh, my pleasure. Oh, man. We're done. Yeah, man.
1: We need we... to get to the dead. Just real quick, okay, talk about okay, the dead okay. he's okay. a, You have dead cred. You played with the Rhythm Devils, right? I did. Oh, yeah. You, are we out of time? Yeah, oh yeah. no, man. Whatever. Just real quick, the Rhythm Devils.
0: <laughs> yeah. How did that fall together? Well, um, it was a. Um, uh, wow, it's a couple years ago. And uh, we had a lot of things in the works at the time, and I could do certain amount of stuff. And so they figured out that an East Coast guy would play the West Coast dates, and then a West Coast guy, Tim Bloom, would play the East Coast dates. So I did the first two weeks, and then I left, and then Tim Bloom came in and did the last two weeks. And, uh, you know, being on a bus with... Uh, uh, Mickey Hart and Bill Kreutzman is something that I'll cherish for the rest of my life. Bus you know? or spaceship? What's that?
2: Is it, was it a bus or a spaceship? It was definitely a bus
0: with bunks and everyone above and below and everyone on top of each other. And it was it was real. And uh, those guys in their world, you know, they could have had three buses, you know, one for each of them and then one for the band. But they, they did one bus. And it was real, and uh, we hung out late night, and there was the stories, you know. There was definitely ups and downs, and and drama, and weirdness. But the uh, the the thing I remember the most are are, are the stories and the um, the comfort uh, at the late night stories that went down, you know. And that's the, something I'll never ever forget, and I'll cherish forever for sure.
1: And and as, as a Bob Weir fan, I seriously believe in 2007 when you toured with him, opening for him, and you were ending all your sets, and he was coming out and doing a couple songs at the end. Really, kind of seemed to breathe new life into Weir, particularly his acoustic playing. He was getting focused on instead of just hanging behind the other band members and stuff like that. Were, were you calling the shots on what to play then, or just throwing ideas out?
0: It was a mix, you know. I would I would throw ideas out there, and then he would come out there and just change everything, you know, you know. uh <laughs> You know, I mean, it would be, uh, we would have ideas, and and, and we would run songs, and then there'd be other nights to where, you know, he would come out in a different mood and say, let's do this. um, But Dark Star at Red Rocks. Yeah. That was an audible. Yeah, there was three songs planned for that that were not Dark Star. And then you just went out there and just... Well, he's like, let's fuck the other stuff and play Dark Star. (laughs) I'm like,
5: okay.
0: (laughs) All right. And so we did. And
1: finally, you're running out of time. But can you talk about doing "We're Here" and TRI Studios?
0: Oh my God! Uh, so Bobby in a, in a blazer with pencils with two ra- erasers on each end, <laughs> and he's just you know flipping them around. Steve Parrish as the as the sidekick, you yeah. know, Bobby very, Letterman. It's very surreal. It was very <laughs> very surreal. Uh, yeah, that was. Uh, that was a bizarre thing that I'm afraid to watch. I, I haven't seen the playback. <laughs> well, but I, I remember, I remember the, I remember the songs being positive, and I think it was, uh, was it Dave Schools? Who was playing bass? Was it, I think it was Dave Schools. Yeah, I think so. Was School- Kimock with you too? I don't think Kimock was there. I think it was Dave Schools and me and Bobby and. I remember you did Cadillac
1: because I don't want that song to slip away you know? Right, Keep right. him sharp on that because he can forget <laughs> lyrics. God bless him. Oh, that's the last question I'll ask because I know so many musicians who have one band that can't remember the lyrics of the band with 30 oh, or 40 yeah. songs. You have 18 friggin' projects <laughs> and I rarely see you flub a lyric. Like tonight, I'm a f- dorkazoid deadhead. You, you
0: don't flub lyrics. I do. How do you remember all the frickin' lyrics? <laughs> Seriously. I don't remember what I had for breakfast but for some reason I, I can remember... I can remember some uh, Some lyrics And uh, I think it's It's in the heat of the moment You know and, and when we're practicing And feeling loose And sound checking You know They'll they'll, they'll go away And and I, I won't remember But in the heat of the moment When there's When there's You know And there's a crowd In front of us For some reason uh, My brain um,
5: Works it Has my back
1: <laughs> well, Thank very- <laughs> you Thank you to The Candler Park Music Festival Thank okay. you to Robert Kwan for doing our engineering,
2: and to Lou, who... Lou,
1: Lou Boudreau,
2: Keller. Congratulations on a very successful career, oh, and man, we wish thank you all you. the best, continuing success. I
0: appreciate that very yeah. much. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Thanks thank everyone
2: you. for listening, and we'll see you in a minute because we're going to the next segment. Right?
0: Yes. Right about now.
2: Enjoy the Keller interview.
1: I'm so sorry to put you through this, people.
2: But thank you for listening. Thank
1: you for Although listening. probably a lot of you tuned out just about two seconds ago.
2: Oh, really? I was out of tune, but they didn't tune out. You complain about Dylan Sinatra stuff. It oh, beats yeah, hell out first of, that. of all, I didn't complain. Yeah. No, 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 no. There's a difference in complaining and bitching. You do them both well. My name's Rob. So that was our Keller interview, uh, as we it said. It was a pretty Keller
1: interview. He planted some seeds. You will hear uh, an interview with Allie Kroll in our next episode,
2: also an interview with Dwayne Trucks. And for those of you wondering, the voice in the background there that wasn't mic'd is Lou, his sound engineer, road manager, trumpet extraordinaire. With a a a gleam of wisdom in his eye, I must add. At the end of it, though, he was offered a mic in the beginning. He's like, no, no, just hang out. And at the end, he's like, man, I wish I had a mic. So, Lou, you are welcome back on our show anytime. Also, the Robert Kwan idea of... Having sound
1: effects at the uh, disposal of the guest, this would have been the great time to do that. We want you know how a lot of radio shows have sound effects, <coughs> right? Little <coughs> little reaction thing. <laughs> what we want to do is create a, a small board of sound effects, but have them be controlled by the guest.
2: Well, it's more and of a zapper, if you will.
1: It is a zapper kind of thing. Frank Zapper always did that. Kind Frank stuff. Zapper. <laughs> what What do you call?
2: What Hello. Is that, what's that cop call his? Uh...
1: I was oh. All right, forget it. I just edited myself. Mm-hmm. Anyways, thank you for listening, and here's some more Keller Williams for you. And um, well,
2: this Keller Williams, I think uh, we're gonna tr-
1: if we can still. Seth wants to play some old Keller, so yeah, we'll I want to play some old Keller. And maybe if it doesn't go on too long, maybe we'll throw on another Grateful Dead thing, but we'll see. That's all going to be done in post, and Seth's going to be at some festival wrangling interns, Interns so. mean,
2: workers, volunteers, Oh, whatever. Thanks for listening, everybody. And again, big thanks to Terrapin Brewery out of Athens, Georgia.
1: I'll be with Spike. Well, I don't want to date this episode, but
2: I'm hanging out with Spike tomorrow night. Cool. Well, tomorrow night, have fun. What are you doing tomorrow night? (laughs) Clenin. Clennon? I'm going to the clinic. Claypool Lennon Delirium, (laughs) Georgia Theater. I expect to hear something back from you on that. Yeah, but we're not going to
1: cut fresh episodes for weeks. Uh, You know what? I'm going to miss you. you I'm going to miss miss talking. I'm going to miss all of this, man.
2: Well, thank you all for listening. I'm going to be lonely. And if you want to hear Rob talk. What am I going to do? He's going to record himself and put it up on his Twitter. Just listen to talk radio and cassette. Which he will then tie into our Twitter, which, by the way, if you're not listening to us. Yeah, right. If you're not
1: listening to us, screw you, man. (laughs)
2: Uh, I mean that. Yeah, at any rate. Thanks for listening. We love you guys. Feedback's welcome except for when it's on the microphone. Have a good night, day, Enjoy. afternoon, morning.
1: Enjoy some more killer. Ah,
4: uh, amigo. What you like? Romantic or happy? We mm-hmm. got Surprise. Let the wind blow back her Just right then she realized There was a German Shepherd in the back She pulled right through the drive through Bought that bitch a Big Mac Name that sweet dog Stella BFFs every day And if that dog could talk This is what she'd say <laughs> That's just how she goes She goes up. She don't care, she round the store in her underwear. She's shoplifting my soul. That's just how she rules. She threw a brick on the gas pedal. She was steeping with the beat. Half of her body hanging out of the window, and I ended down the side. She quotes Ricky Bobby. She says, You ain't first, you last. She don't care what you do, as long as you do it fast. She broke that road, took the boat, run out, and the whole time having a blast. She and Stella would have died that night if they hadn't run out of gas. That's just how she goes. She rolls all. rambling.